Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. Today's presenter is Dr. Aaron Coe. His topic is Thriving in this Ever-Changing World. Um, welcome, everybody. It's um, good to have you in this bright and sunny morning. And uh, it's a beautiful weather. When I woke up today, I was just like, wow, it's amazing. It's been a while since we had uh, such great weather. Um, it's good to see some familiar faces. It's good to see new faces. And uh, as we will know, this is our second week and our last week for our, this Bible seminar. And we've been talking about a few things about the Bible. And we're thinking a few things about health and how health and is so important in our lives that we talk about the mental health, the emotional health, the spiritual and physical health, all ties in together. So today, I'm going to be talking about thriving in the ever-changing world. So before we start, we'd like to ask for the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. May I ask you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessings of life. We thank you for the for the sun that you've given us today, the weather, we thank you for people, we thank you for friends, we thank you for family. Father, as we dive into the Word of God, as we talk about how do we thrive in this ever-changing world, Father, I pray that you open our eyes, may our ears hear your message this morning. I pray that you'll, you'll speak to each and every one of us. May our hearts be open to you this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. In the early 1990s, one of the most horrific events happened in Rwanda. It was a genocide of the Hutus and the Tutsis. A million people were killed in a span of nine months. Pastor Rogalinger was preaching when the radio came and said, cut down the tall trees. And tens of thousands of militia, mainly the young people, ran through the streets with machetes, killing every Tutsis that they, that they saw. Killings were so great that the bodies started to pile up, and the dogs came to eat them. And the killings were so great that they threw the bodies into the river, and they clogged up the river. Pastor Rogalingi was out there, he was a union president at the time, and he was preaching. The militia came in, brought his wife, his three children, and his grandchildren, and he murdered all of them outside of that church that day. If you were to visit Rwanda that day, today, the repercussions of the genocide still ring in that community. There was this woman by the name of Adele Selfu and her husband. And she was with her husband when they heard that the militias were coming. 60 of them ran into the Catholic church, right down in the basement, hoping that the militias would pie-bust them. The militias came in with machetes and start hacking, hacking, and hacking. Someone came and Adele held the hands of her husband, and this guy came and hacked him right in the head. Blood was splattered over her. Hacked him on the shoulder, the husband died. 
She screamed that she held her hand up, and they hacked her on the head, on the shoulder, and she hacked the hand as well. And they were all left for dead. Adele survived. For three days, she was unconscious. People around her was dead. Her husband was dead. And we ask ourselves today, is the Bible reliable? Where is God among all this? Why is there suffering in this world? Our world is changing at such a fast pace. And despite human rights movement, despite our laws that have been put in place, despite the violence and drugs are affecting the fabrics of our lives. Every day I see that in my clinic. And you don't have to be in the clinic to be able to see the repercussions of the world today, right now. Why? Why is there so much evil in this world? The world is in distress and we cannot run from, away from that. It's everywhere. Life is unfair. If God is so good, why is there so much evil? Does God even really care? Let me tell you, if you want to read the Bible and all you see is evil, you're missing the point. But if you read the Bible and you see that the, all you see is goodness of God, but you don't see the evil, you're missing the point too. But God wants to tell us there's a great controversy that's happening in this world right now. And the universal struggle between Christ and Satan is very real. God has stated plainly in his Bible, he unveiled, unveiled everything, everything to us, so that we may see with our eyes what is happening in this world and to know what is our purpose. Let's turn to Revelation. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, turn to the Bible in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. The Bible will tell us how did all these things happen? Why is there so much evil in this world today? Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9, the Bible says, A war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor a place was found for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So who was the dragon? The dragon is the devil or Satan. And what did the, what did the devil do? He deceives the whole world. And there was a war in heaven. And we're going, to, we're going to answer that very shortly. Why was there war in heaven? And God deemed that these angels were no longer fit to heaven and they cast them out onto the earth. And the angels were cast out from heaven. Why was there war in heaven? And where did the dragon come from? Let's turn to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. That's um, just before the book of Daniel. We've been studying Daniel for the last two sessions last week. 
and in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, God tells us why this happened. And Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord God, You were seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. There was an angel. There were many angels in heaven, but there was that particular angel that was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Who is this angel? This angel was anointed cherub that covers, I establish you. You know, the cherub, it's one of the highest angels. They guard the Ten Commandments of God. They're one of the closest angels to God. And the Bible says, this angel, you were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So this angel was perfect. This angel walked with God. This angel protected God's commandment. But something happened. There was an iniquity. There was a sin. There was something that was not right that was found in him. And what was it? What was it that was not right? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your, your, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. There was a pride in this angel. He looked at himself and he admired his own beauty and that corrupted his mind. Our heart is in our mind. The Bible says, when we behold, we are changed. The Bible continues in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and 14. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount on the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Who is the Most High? God. So we have this cherub that in his heart decided to say, I want to be like God. And what did he do? He started to deceive the other angels. Lucifer desired a higher position. He desired an exalted throne. He desired the rulership and dominions of heaven. It started in his heart. The Bible says you have set your heart as the heart of God. Lucifer questioned God's authority. He questioned God's fairness. Lucifer saw God as his rival, and that began in heaven. A third of the angels were deceived because they would start talking behind God's back and saying that God is not fair, God is this, God is that. Revelation chapter 12 verse 4, the Bible says, his tail, the dragon's tail, the Satan, drew a third of the stars. Stars in the Bible means the angels of heaven and threw them to the earth. They all started in his mind and in his heart. The Bible says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, in life, we're just talking about is there a need for spiritual health? 
Without a moral compass, we are thrown into the state of confusion. Are we in the state of confusion today? You know, I fear for, my, I fear for the children. I fear for the families. As I see that people are getting confused and things were once right and now wrong and things are run wrong as right, things are getting very confusing and we, without a moral compass, we are seeing the repercussions of the deterioration of health, in particularly mental health. And where are we heading? Where are we going to be in 10 years? Where are we going to be in 20 years? Where are our children going to be in 30 years? One in two Australians will be affected by mental illness in their lifetime. Sitting right here, the person next to you, either you or the other person is going to suffer a mental illness in their lifetime. One in five Australians are affected by mental illness each year. Some statistics about mental health. About one million people in Australia live with depression right now. And about two million, twice as much, with anxiety. One in five women is likely to experience depression in their lifetime. One in eight in men. And one in three in women for anxiety. And one in five in men. And six Australians died. That has increased. It's eight now. It's eight now. You know what they say? Our top three morbidities in Australia is heart disease, dementia, and stroke. In 10, 20 years' time, depression is going to overtake that. If we do not guard our minds and our heart and have a moral compass in our life, either you or your children is going to suffer. How do we thrive in this ever-changing world today? How do we thrive? Jameson Frank, one of the artists, he says, our greatest battles are that within our own minds. Can I say to you, every day when we wake up, we are having a mind, a battle in our mind. We need to choose. Everything's about choice. If you do not have a moral compass, how do you know what between right and wrong? I'll plead with you today. Listen to your voice. Every day is a mind battle. You've got to choose. But if you do not have a moral compass, how are you going to choose? Something is fundamentally wrong with our society today. Our moral standards, which were once rock solid, is non-existent. How do you protect moral values in an immoral world? How do we thrive in this ever-changing world? Let me bring you back to Babylon again. Let you bring it back into the book of Daniel. Let's go back in time to 605 BC. You know the word Babylon comes from the word Babel in the book of Genesis. It talks about Babel is confusion. And Babylon signifies splendor, signified luxury, alluring. What does it signify? Did we talk about an angel who admire his own splendor, Babylon? But Jerusalem represents the righteousness, the purity, and peace. Babylon was a center of image worship, we shall see shortly. Babylon was the primal source from which all these systems of idolatry flowed. Dr. Alexander Hislop mentioned about it in his book, The Two Babylons. Babylon was the center of false teachings about death. Babylon was the center of sun worship. Let's turn to our books in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, again. 
Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. You know, if Jerusalem represents God's people, why did God allow King Nebuchadnezzar to take over Jerusalem? Why? Why did that happen? Why would God do that? You know, I can imagine when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were there, there were other Jews as well, and there were people who were not Jewish, and people who were taken, he said, look, where is God among all this? You say God's going to preserve your life, but yet King Nebuchadnezzar overtook you. Where is God now? Where is he? But God is going to show the, the world something powerful. But why did this happen? In the book of Jeremiah, if you read in Jeremiah chapter 27, 29, and 46, way before King Nebuchadnezzar delivered Jerusalem into his hands, God already predicted that would happen. But why? Here is why. God spoke to Ezekiel and gave him a vision. God gave a vision that so the Bible reads in chapter 8, verse 16. So he, which is God, brought me into the inner courts of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs turning toward the temple of God and their faces towards the east. And they were worshipping the sun towards the east. The people of God at that time has turned their backs against the temple and worshipped the sun. Sun worship crept into the church. You know what the Bible says? God has been calling out to his people. But when you deliberately and say, look, I do not need you and turn your back against him, God will withdraw himself and say, this is your choice. I'll let you go. And God says, this is what's going to happen. Jerusalem is going to deliver into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the people of God suffered because they were worshipping the sun. And it crept into the church. Throughout history, there was contrast between worshipping the Creator and worshipping the Son as an object of creation. In the Bible Encyclopedia, page 561, John Eddy says this, Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. And Constantine, one of the emperor, he was um, basically he was converted. He was a he was a heathen, but he was converted into a Christian. And he says this on the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all the shops be closed. And that he mentioned that in AD three twenty one. And but to preserve the Roman Empire, Constantine looked for ways to unite his kingdom because he knew that if he were to obey the Sabbath, the pagan in under his law will overthrow him. He will overthrow him, but he wanted to keep his throne. And he says, I'm going to look for ways to merge these things together. 
How do I piece Christianity and pagan together? And he says he'd unite his kingdom, he separate themselves from the Jews, and Sunday was a way to accomplish both. Constantine, that's his coin. That's him on the bigger side and the sun on the other side. And he created this. Even though he was Christian, he couldn't let go of sun worship. Who are we today? Are we just Christian when we come to church? Are we just Christian in front of people? Are we hiding skeletons in our closet? Who are we today? The worship of nature, volume 1, page 529, James Fraser says, in ancient Babylonia, the sun was worshipped for the immemorial antiquity. To Babylon's Alexander Hislop says again, to, rec- to conciliate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Rome, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals together so that you can now bring these two as one. What did the Bible say? What did the Bible say? When God wrote the Ten Commandments with His hand, and when He fashioned you and me and Adam and Eve with His hand, is it important? He created the world, He spoke. But when He created humans, He used His hands. When He gave Moses the law, did He just speak? He used His finger and He wrote it by Himself. If God is so powerful, he will have spoken and it would happen. But when he write it with his hand, it is important. And we need to pay attention to it. And the Bible says in Exodus 20, verse 3 to 17, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. The Bible predicted that this would happen, that would to be a time where people will no longer worship on the Sabbath. They'll worship on the Sunday. And it was found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. To think, to change times and the laws. Which of the Ten Commandments has a time? Which of the Ten Commandments to change the time? There's only one. That's the fourth. Remember. And you know what? That was the longest commandment of the ten. God had to explain himself. Is it important? What did Jesus say? If you disobey the least of that commandment, you you disobeyed all of the commandments. The least of the commandments. God has to make it extra clear to his people by writing it the longest commandment of the ten. The Faith of the Fathers by James Cardinal Gibbons from the Roman Church. And he wrote this, The Faith of Fathers, he wrote this, You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. None. None. Absolutely none. And that is by Cardinal. And the scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Now, the Converts Catechism of the Catholic Doctrine. Now, this is not from, our, from my mouth, but from the Catholic Church itself. And let's read what it says. There was a question and answer. It says, the Converts Catechism, which is the Sabbath day? 
Saturday is the Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the sol solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. You know what? There is a battle in the universe between good and evil. And it's a battle over worship. It centers on God's law. Which law did Satan attack? Or should I say, let's put it this way, which law did Satan not attack? Is there murder? Did people steal? Do people lie? Do people covet? Do people commit adultery now in this society more than ever? I have a patient who came to me. A very distorted relationship. Apps like Tinder and all sort of stuff get himself into a, a huge tangle. And he was spiraling into depression after depression. He has went through relationships again and again. Again and again. And he couldn't figure out why. We're living in the immoral world. How do we preserve our morality in this world? Where is the compass that we have today? Which law did the Satan not attack? He attacked every single one of it. How do we tell in these people that we are the one who's going to stand for God? The great controversy, the universal struggle between Christ and Satan. Isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, who deceived one-third of the angels who were in heaven? We were not even in heaven. They can deceive them in heaven. Do you think that they would deceive us? Absolutely. Those angels in heaven knew a lot more than what we know. And they were deceived. Isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack God's law? Absolutely. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to refresh our memory again in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 says, So in now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dream, and his spirit is so troubled that his sleep left him. So for those people who were not here last week, we know that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. God gave him a dream. He couldn't remember the dream. The dream was so disturbed that he, he could not sleep. And he yearned for people, someone to tell him what the dream was. And there was one person who was able to tell him the dream. And Daniel and his three friends went to pray. And that night, God gave Daniel the dream. And Daniel approaches King Nebuchadnezzar because King Nebuchadnezzar was killing the astrologers, he was killing the Chaldeans, and he was killing the magicians because they were not able to tell him what the dream was and to interpret the dream. And Daniel, the first thing, if you notice in the Bible, he says, stop the killing. He's a man of God. He doesn't want to see people die, even though they were heathens. He said, stop the killing. I know the dream. Bring me to the king. I'm going to tell you what your dream was. I'm going to tell you and interpret the dream for you. And the dream was, you, O king, the king of Babylon, which is the kings of kings, you are this head of gold. And after you shall rise another kingdom and its chest of arms of silver. Which, which country was it? The chest of arms and silver? Medo-Persia, right? And 
Babylon reigned from 605 to 539 BC, and he was the head of Gaul. And the Gaul aptly represents King Nebuchadnezzar because he, he, he has a lot of gold in his temple, the temple of Maduk. If you were to walk into that place, there's eight and a half tons of gold lining throughout the whole temple. And that represented King Nebuchadnezzar. But King Nebuchadnezzar refused to acknowledge that his kingdom is going to be overthrown. He refused. He says, well, God tell me this, very good, but I'm not going to let my kingdom down. And it was one of the most popular kingdoms. It was, it was the most powerful kingdom of its time. And what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? He did something. Let's find out what's going on. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Turn with me to the Bible, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and his width 6 cubits. And he set up in the plain of Dura, which is in the province of Babylon. Babylon is, is right now in, in, the, in Iraq. And what he did was he set up everything of gold. Why? He wanted to tell himself there is no chest and arms of silver. There is, there is no belly and tie of bronze. There's no legs of iron. The whole thing is gold. My kingdom is going to last forever. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the dream says. He set up this great image. And then he did something in verse 2. And the Bible reads, And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He set it up to glorify himself. He set up to admire the splendor. You know, one cubit is actually from your middle finger all the way to the tip of your elbow. So he has 60 cubits high. So approximately one, one cubit is about 0.47 meters, give or take, depending on how tall you are and how long your arms are. And it's about 27 meters, approximately about eight stories high. Because you imagine it's eight stories high, you must set it in the plane of Dura, everybody around it could see it. The king Nebuchadnezzar has this big image. And they stood before the image Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and they admired it. And then what happened? There was a decree in verse 4, follow me. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All kinds of music. What kind of music is your children listening today? What kind of music are you listening today? People who come in with all sorts of rap, Musics of violence, musics of adultery, musics of shooting people, taking things on their own hands. Sometimes we, we may laugh about it and we just, you know, pass, pass by. It's just, it's just music. You know, we can choose what we eat. If it's not taste, tasteful, we, I won't take it. 
But when we don't guard our minds and let music infuse into our, into our hearts and our minds and incite anger and violence within us, what are we going to become? With our children. We have to learn sometimes to just to shout out. These are certain things that we shouldn't be listening to. Certain things that we shouldn't be listening to. And that time, the Babylon, there was all kinds of music were playing. And it says, at that time, you hear the sound of flute, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever who does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Let me ask you, did God perform a miracle for King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, revealing the dream? Absolutely. Did God perform a miracle for King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 through the interpretation of the dream? Yes. But now, he is deliberately defying God by creating this image. Satan's strategy is to adopt pagan practices. His strategy is to introduce compromise. His strategy is to inflict persecution. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound and the flute and the harp and symphony, all kinds of music, and what happened? All the people, the nations and languages, what did they do? They fall down and worship him. They worship the God and the images that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And therefore, at that time, there were few people. There were certain Chaldeans who came forward and now they start accusing the Jews. Who was he accusing? Daniel 3 verse 12 says, There were certain Jews whom you have set over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This man, O king, has not paid regards to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold, golden image we have, we have set up. You know, when people were bowing down and falling down, and there, there it is, out in the open, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing. Do you think it will be, be prominent if everyone's bowing down and you're standing? Yeah. They will say, look at them. They're not bowing down. Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're the only Jews that are being held captive in Babylon? No. But out of this, three of them do not bow down. And I can almost imagine that the rest of the people and say, why don't you just bow down? Just bow down. It's just an image. It doesn't mean anything to your mind. It doesn't mean to your heart. As long as you just bow down and ask for forgiveness and pray and say, Lord, you know, God, you got to help us here. Help us. Help us. It's okay. You know, we just, we just compromise that bit. Just compromise. You know, they're going to kill us. Are you you're going to risk your life for this image and not bowing down? Do you know something? Compromise creeps in so slowly. If you compromise a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, by the time you realize you've gone so far, God says, who do we have today who will not compromise what I have commanded them? And um, the Bible tells us, now Shadrach Meshach is getting in trouble. Big trouble. And Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 14, I'll read it to you, and he, and he spoke. Nebuchadnezzar actually says, bring them here. Bring them here. They are the, I want to speak to them. I want to interview them. And he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image we have set up? Is that true? And he gives them 
a proposal in verse 15. He gave them a chance. Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the love, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in a symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image we have made, good. I'm giving you a second chance now. I'm going to get them to play the music. I'll give you a second chance. If you bow down, great. But he says in the second half, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who, who, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Who? I've overtaken Jerusalem. I've helped all you captive. Now who is going to deliver you? You know what they answered? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this case. We have no need, absolutely none. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us into the fiery furnace. You know, delivering people into the fiery furnace is not something new. Who are the people who are going to stand for God? There was this gentleman by the name of John Huss. And he was in Prague, and he was a Catholic priest. And there was a time of reformation. At a time when the, when the Catholics in the, in the Dark Ages, not, not everyone can read the Bible. It only belongs to the priest. You will come, you will read it. So there was a big reformation and the Bibles was running through the ages through generations and there was a great reformation. People are holding on to the Bible and they're reading it for themselves. And John Haas began to study the Bible. He was, he was graduated and he was, he, was, um, he was a priest in the church of Bethlehem in Prague and began to study. And then after he studied the Bible for himself, not because other people tell him, he studied for himself and he realized something powerful. He realized that something was wrong with the church, that they have deviated from the word of God. And he made himself, he vowed to himself and said, obedience to God is my motto, not obedience to men. And they got hold of John Husk, asked him to renounce the Reformation. Why is there a Protestant protest, Protestantism? To protest against the Catholics. Why was, there, why was there a protest for? Because they deviated away from the word of God. And he protested. As a result, Hus was burned at the stake in the town square of Prague in front of everybody. You know what's amazing about John Hus? When they cast a chain around him and they, they grapple with him and they chain him up and say, look, you know, Jesus had had it worse than me. Jesus had had it worse than me. And as he was cast, the fire was burning and he was singing hymns. People were hearing. As the fire devoured him, his voice became softer. But he never stopped singing. He never did. Nebuchadnezzar says, if that's the case, that God 
our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego say to King Nebuchadnezzar. But if not, let it be known that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. He was angry. And his expression on his face changed. And he commanded that they heat the, the furnace seven times more than it is usually heated. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, and their turbans, and their garments, and they were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Drop down your eyes to chapter 3, verse 22. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, that the flame of the fire killed who? Killed those men who took Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They killed them. Can you imagine what their minds are they thinking? If you were to walk the fiery furnace and you see those people died, would you still have that doubt in your head? Say, I will not walk through it. As you approach the fire furnace, you felt the fervent heat onto your face. Would you say to yourself, I made a grave mistake? Or would you say that I will walk through it? And as this man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the fiery furnace, as they fell down inside, and everyone was watching and seeing what is going on. They go to kill themselves. The Jews will say, what is going on? You know what they saw? King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste and spoke, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of fire? Three men. Look, I saw who? Four men walking in the midst of fire they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of man in the midst of the fiery furnace jesus was there what are you struggling today are you in the fiery furnace or about to go into a fiery furnace how is your relationship with your wife or your husband your boyfriend or your girlfriend how is your relationship with your parents, your mom and your dad? Are you trying to find a job and you couldn't find any? Have you lost someone to cancer, heart disease, diabetes? Have you had a heartache in your life that you couldn't quite put it and you feel that there is no way, there is no way I can walk into that fiery furnace? But let me tell you today that God will walk with you in this fiery furnace. He will show himself strong when you are weak. Why? Why did God put through the trial of Shadrach, Mishan, and Abednego? Why? Why did he do that? Why didn't he destroy King Nebuchadnezzar? Take him away. Since he is such a tyrant, he must have killed a lot of people too. Does God not love his people? Where is he in the midst of this? You must remember three things if you do not remember today. One, 
He strengthened the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they walked into the fire and furnace, thinking that they would die, and they came out alive, their faith was strengthened. If you walk through the fire and furnace, trusting in God, when you come out of that fire and furnace, you will come up with a person of faith. God will do three things. He will either let you walk into the fire and furnace, or He will take it away from you. But if He chose you to walk in the fiery furnace, trust in Him, knowing that He will stand by you. He did that because others will believe. People will believe there is a God. The Bible says in Revelation, in chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, said, Then I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe and tongue and people. Fear God. Obey Him. Obey God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and springs of water. Then a second angel, another angel says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. We're living in the world of spiritual Babylon. God is saying, do not partake anything that Babylon has to offer. God says, where are my people? Who will stand when people will bow? Who will walk through the fiery furnace? Because she has made all nations drink of the wrath, the wine of the wrath of a fornication. The wine represents the intoxication of the false doctrine that has transcended generations and generations. But God is calling His people to study the Word of God, to accept the Word of God as the truth. Not what people tell you, but you study for yourself. We have great Bible teachers here. He's going to show you great and mighty things. And the third angels followed them, saying with a loud voice and saying, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receive his, receive his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of wrath of God. Who will you worship today? The Bible says in the last days, there will be a small group of people who will stand by him. Two criterias. The here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. What commandments? The Ten Commandments. And have the faith of Jesus. The Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, the faith of Jesus in the New Testament, both together, the patience of the saints. The very hand that created human being is the hand that wrote there onto the Ten Commandments. In the future, the final issue of loyalty will center around worship. There will be a parallel again on Babylon. In the days of Noah, God invited His people to take a stand and go into the ark. He wanted to save everybody. People couldn't believe it because it has never rained before. If it's never rained, how could there be a flood? In the days of Daniel, God invited His people to take a stand. In the days of Jesus, God invited his people to take a stand. In the days of early Christianity, God invited His people, John Huss, to take a stand. 
in the dark ages, God invited His people to take a stand. In the last days, God invites you to take a stand. Throughout the centuries, God has had men and women who have been faithful to Him. They have called them into His church. The book of Joshua says in 24 verse 15, Choose for yourselves, choose for yourselves, this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember Adele Selfu, the lady whose husband has been hacked and died and she was left to die? She understood the great controversy. She understood that as she travels into the fire furnace, God was with him, with her. God was with her all the way. She knew of the spiritual battles that she was dealing with. She would either surrender herself to God, fully trusting Him, or be depressed and say, God is not here, I will leave the church, and I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. She had to make that decision. Whether she'll be bitter, she'll grow into an old, bitter, angry woman for the rest of her lives. And she began to think, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going into the prisons. I'm going to minister to the murderers because Jesus has given me a life. And she became the mother of the prisons. There was 18 prisons around Rwanda, housing 180,000 murderers. She went there and ministered to them. And one day, one day, this young man by the name of Louis came to her and fell onto her feet. And she looked into his eyes. She recognized him. He was the one who took and hacked her husband and her. Over the tears, she poured out and said, Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And she said to him, with tears running down her eyes, Jesus has forgiven me. I will forgive you. I will forgive you. When Lewis got out of prison early because of good behavior, he had nowhere to go. You know what Adele Selfo did? He did something that not many people would do. He adopted him, the murderer of a husband, as a son. Every day, she will have this photo of her husband by a wall. And on her side was a young man who murdered her husband. But she says, I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. What kind of God do we serve? How do we thrive in this immoral world? We need to have a moral compass in our life. No one can change this woman. She can't change herself. Was God because she gave everything to Him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. As you are here today, as you hear about the Bible, as the ushers come and give out the decision cards, I want you to think, I want you to ponder 
is God speaking to you today in a very powerful way? When you came in today, you didn't expect, you do not know what you're going to hear. You do not know what this topic is all about. But God is speaking to you today. If today that you feel that there's something in your life that you are struggling with, there's a fiery furnace that's burning and eating you up, that you want someone to pray for you, I invite you to tick the first box. If you today, after hearing this, and you believe there is a God, you may not know everything, but you believe there is a divine power. You believe there is something greater than you are, greater than the world is, greater than the evil in this world, that you know that there is a Jesus, and you want to like accept Him as your personal Savior. I urge you that you tick the box. And if today that you've heard about things from the Bible that you've not heard before and you would like to know more and say, look, I want to study for myself. I don't want to go to church and get people to tell me what it is. I want to read for myself what God has to speak to me. And I want you, you want to join small Bible study groups. I urge you to take that box. And if you today would like and say, I would like to give my life to Jesus because I acknowledge Him as my Savior, and you want to commit your life through baptism, not today, but at some point in your life and say, look, I want Jesus, I want to have a new life, I want to commit myself to Him. I urge you to take that box. And the last appeal is, if you have known Jesus in your past, that for some reason that happened in your life, that all of everything that you have been through and you could not see God in all of this, but now God is speaking to you in a very powerful and special way and say, come back to me, my son, my daughter, and you want to recommit yourself to Him, I appeal to you to take that box. This appeal, after you finish them, I will collect them. I will pray for over these appeals because I know that God has spoken to you right now and today. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 to 13, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And when you seek me and find me, when you search for me with all your heart. This is my prayer for you. I pray that God will speak to you in a very powerful way. Let's seal this today with a word of prayer. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we close this session. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for being our God. Help us to open our eyes, even though that we see so many atrocities around us, but we know that you have God of courage, you have God of goodness, you have God of perfectness, you have God of faith, you have God of strength. 
We have seen that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have seen that in John Huss. Father, I pray that you be with each and every one of us here today. Some of us may have struggles in our life with relationships, with jobs, with finances, with things that we could not even utter out from our hearts. But we trust, Lord, that you are there with us through this fiery furnace. Be with us today. Renew our hearts and our mind that we may stay strong when we are weak. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by Beyond Patmos. For more resources like this, visit beyondpatmos.org. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.